Well, I'm thrilled that you're here. Uh, my name is Jose. If you have a Bible, you want to turn to Exodus uh, 15. And what we want to do this morning is hear the Word of God, two uh, longer passages, one from Exodus 15 and one from Matthew 5. So if you need a Bible, just put your hand up. They'll get that for you. And I'm going to pray first, and then I'm going to invite some, uh, some of our young people to come, and they're going to read Exodus 15 first, then Matthew 5, and then we'll uh, think about it together. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we're grateful, God, for what you're doing in our world and even in our lives. Now we ask you, Holy Spirit of God, as we look to the word, as we look to see what you did and said, we want to know what you're doing and saying, and we want to experience your life. We want to know what it is to follow you. So, Lord, uh, we want ears that are open to hear, not words alone, but what you're trying to communicate through those words. So uh, enlighten us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 through 16, verse 5. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had came out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. All right. All right, this passage is a little shorter. It's Matthew 5, 1 through 6. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Thanks, guys. I uh, appreciate it. It's cool to have young people in our church. Why don't you give it up for Rowan and Josh. And um, we, uh, we want to give everyone an opportunity. You don't have to be 50 years old to serve God in this church. And nothing better than hearing young people read the word of God. Well, here we are. If you're, if you're new or visiting, we're in a kind of like day eight of 21 days, Seek 21. We're committing three weeks of our life and of this year to seeking God together. And I don't know if you've been involved with it so far. Um, maybe you just come and you're new to the church. Well, we started last Sunday and you know I, I just figured I drink five to six cups of coffee a day, which is a little bit. 
And so I was like, you know, in this time, I'm just going to cut coffee out and see how bad of a headache I can endure. And you know what the funny thing is? Four days and zero headache. And maybe it's water. Maybe it's the grace of God. I have, have no idea. But I found myself like energetic without even wanting another cup of coffee. There are many ways to fast. If you missed the teaching from last week, I encourage you. You can watch or listen to the podcast. But um, I'm doing kind of a modified, uh, a Jewish fast was evening to evening. So you have an evening meal and don't eat till the next evening. And so not eating breakfast or lunch and cut out coffee. And I found like full of joy and, and not even helping making food for the family, but not even wanting to eat it. And I'm like, this is getting weird. You know, like what's going on? And I think it's just the goodness of God. Uh, now, is it the lack of food? that makes you more sensitive to God? Or is it the fact that when you're fasting, you're actually looking to God? Well, like, what is it? Is it, does God require that we not have food to hear? No, I think it's a combination. I think what Jesus said is totally true. Those who ask, receive. Those who seek, who find. Those who knock, the door is open. And if you've read that statement from Jesus, you know he's saying, those who keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on seeking, asking, knocking. Those who don't give up, they get in the end what they're looking for, which is God. And so what we're doing, if you're new, I'm going to invite you over these next two weeks, we have two more weeks, to step in. Could be one meal on one day, eat nothing and drink plenty of water. It could be one whole day of saying, I'm just going to have water and juices, but I'm going to stay away from food. It could be as simple as like Daniel, eat, but eat different. Uh, for, for Daniel, it was, he cut out desserts and sweets and breads and, and, and meat and had vegetables Again, in one sense, it doesn't matter. It's the heart, isn't it? I'm encouraging over the next two weeks, try it, test it, and see if God doesn't meet you at your place of expectation. And so it's been a, like it's been a glorious week for me, except I forgot what I was supposed to do. So the brain does go after a while. But uh, what we want to do is also give you the opportunity. Our office is open, hear me, from 6 to 8 every morning, even Sunday, over these next two weeks to give you space to pray in a different place. It's just, if you go on the street side, there's a door with our logo on it. And I'm gonna encourage you, if you can, make it once. Well, I could do it at home, absolutely. But there's something about intention, isn't there? If you can, come once and just bring your Bible and your notepad and say, God, look, I, I wanna be in a space where I have not my normal clutter and distractions and I want to hear from you. If you don't do it, are you less than? No. But I would encourage you, test it, try it, all right? Well, we, we read two passages that seem to have nothing to do with one another. One's from Exodus and one's from Matthew. One's Moses uh, speaking to the people. One's Jesus teaching to people on the hill. And both are related in one regard. I don't know if you caught it. Both had to do with hunger and food. Uh, one was a narrative of a group of people who God rescued, and they were hungry, and they grumbled. And the other one is Jesus on a mountainside, and he talks about those who hungering and thirsting for righteousness find themselves filled. And so we want to look at those two. Last week's topic was about, are you hungry, or what are you hungry for? And I hope that you're starting to think about following Jesus in those terms, that it's not just a moment. You know, a moment I trust in Jesus, my name is written in the book of life, and at the end of my days, I get to be with him. And in between, it's like make it up as you go along. No. 
Every day is an opportunity to live hungry. Every day is an opportunity to live thirsty, to long for more. And so I want to see two big ideas this morning that are going to drive us into this week where I hope you'll up the temperature of your longing even to long for God. Some of us are so distant from the concept of longing for God that what we need is like I was watching a movie where it was the Apollo taking off. It wasn't Apollo 13, but another movie about you know, space flight. And the amount of rocket fuel needed to get that rocket off the ground is immense. And maybe that's what God needs to do. He needs to so light a fire under you because you've grown so accustomed to living the ordinary, blasé, mediocre Christian life that he needs to take a rocket and fuel you into even wanting to want him more. Or maybe you're just waiting for someone to push you over the edge. You're like already there. You're just like, come on, tip me over. I don't know, but I want to see two things. One, hunger and thirst are real. Hunger and thirst are real. In Exodus, we see the story of a real group called Israel, a nation of people that started with one man. And I'm going to summarize the big picture of the Bible. God comes to a man out of nowhere. Abram is his name. And God says, hello, I'm going to bless you. And guess what? I'm going to bless you so much, I'm going to give you children. But I don't have any. Abram and Sarah, they're, they're, they're not able to conceive. End of their years, almost dead. No, I'm going to give you not only a child, I'm going to give you a family. And look at the stars, so big. See, the stars count them. You're going to have more kids than that. That's impossible. Oh, oh look at the, they're in the desert. Look at the, look at, look at the desert sand. You count the grains of sand. You ever try that? Exercise and futility. There's just so many. Your line is going to go beyond that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless and lead you. What we don't know in the story is why in the world God chose Abram. Like, why, why not someone else? Here's what we do know. When God comes to him, Abram says, yes. When grace comes his way, when the grace of God, grace is getting what you don't deserve. When God comes in, what, what Abraham says is like, yeah, I'm there. And so God says, go to the land I'm going to show you. And guess what Abram does? He picks up his, his, his family, his livestock. He says, let's go. They don't even know where. They know the direction. They don't know where. And he goes and he obeys a loving God who says, I'm going to bless. But if you fast forward, you see that his kids have kids, have kids, have kids. Where do they end up? They end up in slavery, 400 years. Do you ever feel like, Jesus, I chose to follow you, but why is my life jacked up? Like, what? I thought you were good. I, I actually love you, and my life's a mess. Read Exodus, because it reminds us. Our momentary issues are momentary in the big picture of what God is doing. And God takes this group of people who do not look very blessed. They look messed. They're in Egypt. 400 years living, working seven days a week. Oppressive, evil people destroying their lives. They have nothing. But God said, I'm going to bless Abram's descendants. And here we are. And they cry out to God. God hears and says to Moses, go to the land, go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, the guy in charge, let these people go. Oh, by the way, Pharaoh's not going to let them go. But I'm going to come and I'm going to do some stuff that's going to blow his mind, including gnats and hail and locusts and blood, water turned to blood. I'm going to do all these signs to show 
Egypt and Pharaoh. These are my people, and I love them, and out of grace, I'm going to set them free. They have no army. They have no money. They have nothing to offer God, but God says, you know what? I just love them, and so he, he goes. Now, where we picked up was God had already delivered them out, and at the end, he's going to judge Egypt for their evil behavior and says to the people, he says to the people who know him, what I need you to do is I'm going to come in and I'm going to be the equalizer here. These people are going to know that I'm alive. But I'm going to protect you. So take a, a lamb that's spotless and pure and kill it. Put the blood over the doorposts of your home. Get in the home. Enjoy the meal. You guys celebrate, but I'm going to judge those who don't know me, love me, follow me. They want nothing to do with me. They're going to know that I'm the God who is God. And so what, they, what do they do? They obey. They hear, hear me. Abram hears and obeys. And now Moses and the people hear and obey. They go in the house. And that night the destroyer comes and the firstborn of everything in all of Egypt is killed, including children, including Pharaoh's own child. Why am I telling this story? I'm gonna eventually make a point. Hunger and thirst are real. So, so they go out. And they make their way out, and they're celebrating. They ask the Egyptians for gold. They're like, take our cash. Bitcoin, you can have it all. We need you out of here. Get out. And they go, and they walk. And then they, they come to their senses like, wait a minute, our free labor is gone. And they go with chariots to now pull them back. And Israel looks and sees they're against the water. What do we do? And they cry out to God. And he says to Moses, just put up your stick, man. And one night, the waters part. Hear me, people. And they walk across on dry land to the other side. Miraculous. God saves. But the problem is Egypt comes after. <laughs> so they come after. They, the, the, those who know God, they come to the edge. But they're coming. And God brings the water back in. And the horse and the rider fell into the sea. Exodus 15. They sing a song to remember that God cares for us. He loves us. They had no army, no money, no experience. 400 years of slavery. Our country isn't even 400 years old. Imagine the entire history of our nation. Total bondage and slavery. In a moment, God sets them free. So they go out and God says, I've got a land that I promised Abraham. And I'm preparing it for you. Go. So they go out. And we didn't read all of this, but I'm, I'm summarizing it because it's important. Hunger and thirst are real things. They go and they realize they got animals, they got kids, they got family. What are they going to do? Like, where's the water supply? You ever go on that trip and realize, oops, I forgot something? Well, they went on a big trip. They're in the desert. I've been to Cairo and I've been to Israel. And I'm telling you, this is hell. It's so hot. There is no water. This is not the place you go to. This is, this is not Phoenix, you know. This is, this is dirt and death. Here's what happens. As they go, they realize we don't have, we don't have anything to drink. And they, they don't call on God. They complain to Moses. And they say to Moses, like, why did God do this terrible thing? You see, God provides real food and real water to real people who need to live. And I'm here to remind you, my friend, in the middle of our time of seeking God, that he's been faithful to you. You've eaten. You've had something to drink. You have a place to live. You have, you have clothes. You have things. And sometimes we forget. We complain. Don't we find ourselves complaining about the things we don't have all the time and not remembering all the stuff? It's not the stuff in your closet that makes you mad. It's the thing online that you don't have yet. And why is it that we default to complaining? 
because we're just like Israel and we're just like them. And we forget because they forgot quickly that God, God actually got them out. And they say, God, why are you doing this? And manna appears. Manna means what is it? They don't even know what it is. God says, okay, I'm going to show you. For as long as you're in the desert, I'm going to bring food. You're going to wake up. It's going to be there. And they eat it. They're like, this is amazing food from the ground. And there's only enough for today. By the way, you've got to trust me for tomorrow. And so they put it in their bag. And there's maggots in it. They can't, they can't even listen to God who says, I'll give it to you tomorrow. But they, do you ever find yourself at a moment where you don't know what to do hoarding? Because you're like, I better hold on to this because it may be gone. Rather than trusting that the God who gave it to you can still give it to you. And so we're like the people of Israel. So, so, the, so then God says, oh, there's a day of rest, a Sabbath day. I've set it apart for you. You can enjoy. On that day, you collect two days worth and it will last. And guess what? They do it and it lasts. God does miraculous things. They don't, they don't have something to drink. What does he do? Just go point the stick at a rock. Boom! Suddenly a gusher of water and everyone can drink. And God is faithful and God is faithful. And here's why. Grace. God loves people and he graciously gives them things that they don't deserve. And that's the story of our life. And that's the story of Abram's life. God made a covenant with Abraham. An agreement. He says, I will be faithful to you. Why? Because I'm God. And I just love you. And, and the covenant goes both ways. Then the people go back to God. And Abraham goes back to God. And Moses goes back to God. And you and I, we go back to God and we say, you know what? You've been faithful to us. Here's what we're going to do. Out of love, we're going to respond. And we're going to live faithful to you. Hunger and thirst are real. Now, I'm eventually going to make a point. 90% of this is introduction. The last 10%, if you leave early, you've missed it all. So you just got to hang on with me. I'm going to put on the screen a little portion of what we read from Exodus. Look, I am going to, this is God. Look, I'm going to rain down uh, food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go. They can pick up as much food as they need for the day. And I will test them in this to see whether they are not they will follow my instructions. You see, the daily grind is a test. Your daily grind, your life, is a test. The word test here means prove. You could translate it. I'm going to prove something. I'm going to use this experience to prove something in your life. You're like, God, why is this happening right now? And just remind yourself, I'm being tested. God's going to prove something. Here's what you're going to see. God is going to prove himself faithful. In the circumstances of your life, he's always going to be faithful. And so God's testing is not like pass-fail. If I pass the test, God likes me. When God comes to Abram, he says, I'm going to bless you. There was just no qualifier. I'm going to do it. But it's Abraham's response that activates this covenant. And he says, yes. And then God always is faithful. And then Abram's just supposed to respond with living faithful back to God. I'm going to test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. All right. Let's move to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8, we're going to throw it on the screen. 40 years later, 40 years of this mess. Read Exodus. And there's cycles of disobedience. For some reason, this group of people can't figure it out that if God is faithful, I should be faithful to him. So Moses speaks almost the same words to the next generation, to the Rowans and Joshes, who are about to go into the land. They got to the edge, and God says, before you go in, hear these words from Moses. 
Your moms, dads, aunts, and uncles, they didn't live faithful. God was faithful to them, but they were a stiff-necked people. So stubborn, they wouldn't turn back to God. Stiff in the neck, stuck in this direction, and I can't, I can't turn. You don't have to live that way. Read Deuteronomy 8. Be careful to follow every command I'm going to give you today so that you may live and you may increase, you may enter, you may possess the land the Lord promised on oath, that's covenant, to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord, your God, led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. He did it to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would actually keep his commands. So he humbled you. This is why stuff happens. Causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So your clothes didn't wear out, your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart, as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Here's the principle that needs, that needs to be driven out of this idea that hunger and thirst are real, right? God's grace should be followed by our obedience. What's happening in Exodus and what's happening in Deuteronomy, what's happening in Israel, this is the story of a real group of people in real history that has a lifelong application. Do you know you can learn from your mistakes or you can learn from the mistakes of someone else? You can make your own blunders or you can use wisdom. See what's happened and don't reproduce terrible ways of living. Rather, find a new way. God's grace should be followed by our obedience. Remember, the only right response for Abram when God comes to him is to obey. God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a child. He doesn't have one. So what should he do? He should obey. For Moses and for, for everyone after and even for us today, when God comes to you with his mercy, his grace, when you get what you don't deserve, when you see his hand in your life, the natural response should be obedience. Again, like I said, something like, Jose, I, I don't get it all. Again, last 10% is going to give it away. But this has repercussions for all areas of life. I want us to think about it. If you say you follow Jesus, who's really leading your life? I mean, really. And then it's easy to say, well, Jesus. The answer to every question in church is Jesus, right? But, but, but the, the, who's really, all right, who is guiding your spending habits? Who is the one that you're looking to for wisdom on navigating friendships relationships, whether it's parent to children, children to parent, uh, uh, spouse, dating, future. What about what you should focus your life's energy on? Is it your idea? Is it God's direction? Who are you leaning on day by day? Now, if we're like Israel and we're honest, we try to store up for two days because we're afraid to trust God every day, aren't we? And yet God gives us this opportunity to live hungry. Hear me. God's designed your life to live hungry and thirsty. God is putting you where he's putting you so that you will live hungry and thirsty. We want to be living in the land of promise. We want to not worry about anything so that we can be lazy. And God says to Israel and says to you and me, I'm going to discipline you like a father lovingly disciplines their kids. If you're a parent, you know this. There are times in your life where your child wants something and you want to give it to them, but they're not ready for it. 
They're just not ready for it. Like, I'd love to give my five-year-old a car and have him drive it. I don't have a five-year-old, but hypothetically. But that would be foolish for me to give a five-year-old a car and say, take the keys and here's a stick so because you can't reach the pedal. Here's a stick to push down the pedal and go for it. Enjoy. It's yours. We're insured. <laughs> That'd be foolish because you realize as a parent, my five-year-old's not ready for it, even if they want it. I want to drive daddy someday. And so in the same way, God puts us in circumstances. We're like, why, 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 why? And God's saying to us, I, I designed your life so that you can live hungry and thirsty for me, hear me, every day, daily bread. And the only time God gave him enough for two days when he said, I want you to sit and enjoy and look to the heavens and realize this one who created all this loves you. There's a day for you to rest. But on every other day, you need to come to me. Now, that's supposed to be the normal experience. I, I'm drawing this out because I'm frustrated with my own life, and you may be frustrated with yours, why is it that we are so slow to learn that God is trustworthy and his grace is there and he's for you and he's with you and he's wanting to provide everything for you? Why is it that we have to be so resistant and reliant on ourselves? Why? Now, hunger and thirst are real. That was the first idea. Second one, and then we'll make the point. Hunger and thirst are metaphors in the Bible. So when you see hungry and thirsty, sometimes it's excess. Like they really needed something to drink, really needed something to eat. And then also it became a metaphor to speak to our soul. So I'll, I'll throw a couple of examples. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. One of my favorite psalms. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. The psalmist is out there in the middle of nowhere, and there's, there's a deer and if you've been to the Middle East and you've been to the Holy Land, you know water is such a rare treat. And so the deer finds its way, and by the time it gets to the water, it's just dying of thirst, like, I need you. And the psalmist, when writing, uses the metaphor. Like that animal, can't go another day without that water. I long for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And so in the Psalms, you see this hunger, thirst. And then you see it in the prophets. The prophets are the ones who reminded God's people of what God said. The prophets almost had nothing new to say. If you've ever gotten stuck in reading you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk and the other prophets, it's because our situation's so different. But let me give you the brass tacks. All they did was says, look at what God did. Look at why your life's a mess. If you turn back to God, he'll bring you back. That's the story of the prophets. So Isaiah uses the metaphor, Isaiah 55. Come, all you are thirsty. Come to the waters and you, you have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. In other words, grace. God wants to give you, Right? Why spend money on what's not bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what's good. You'll delight in the richest fare. These are all metaphors. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Can't you see yourself in the story? There are seasons of our life where like, we're chasing after all these things and God is just trying to get our attention and say to us, I am the one you really want because I'm the one who really satisfies, which is why I'm, I'm slow on the fasting thing. I was honest last week. This has been not a discipline in my life, and I'm kind of kicking myself, but I'm not. 
I'm just 46 and learning that when you pull away food and, and, and you, you go throughout the day, you realize how good food is. And when drinking water with lemon, because enough's boring water, I just get bored. So I got, I got to throw lemons in it, I throw lime, I'll throw anything in there just to f- mix it up. And then you're drinking your water and a little piece of pulp just goes down, that little pulp, pulp and just, it just goes down. It's like, this lemon, I, I don't like lemon pulp. But lemon pulp tastes so good right now. And you know what? I, I feel like a deer panting. And then I realized, God, why is my appetite for you not that joyous and desperate? So, so fasting doesn't make you more spiritual. But I realize fasting can put you in a place where you say, Man, my lack of a love for God is embarrassing. So that's not a guilt trip. It's an opportunity. You see, we're like ancient Israel. And that's, I'm leaning almost to my point. We're like ancient Israel. So when you read about them, put your name in there. Yet God calls and God saves and God provides and God does all this stuff. And the invitation in Exodus is to come back. He says to, to the people, Moses to the people, stop that, come back. The invitation in Deuteronomy, come back. The invitation in Isaiah, come back. The invitation of the whole Bible is to, is to come back. And don't forget Deuteronomy 8. He says to the people, the previous generation missed it. In other words, you could be loved by God, called by God, rescued by God, and still not reach all the things that God intended for your life. That's absolutely possible. Don't let anyone tell you, like, if you just follow Jesus, it's all going to work out. No, it's not. It's not all going to work out. You can love Jesus, but grace not followed by obedience will lead to, and then you fill in the blank. You can really wreck your life. You can really wreck your family. You can really wreck your future. And God, this is the crazy thing about God. He's a better parent than us. He will still step in and love and heal and forgive. But the scars will be there. And by the way, that generation never made it to the land of promise. So that's a warning. You can miss God's beautiful blessing but you don't have to. Ooh, I'm almost there. Let's go to Jesus. Matthew 5. This is, this is the point. I, I went in Exodus and Deuteronomy because I wanted us to remember where the wanderers, where the rebellious ones, and the prophets, and all the scripture calls us back. And now Jesus, Matthew 5, this Sermon on the Mount, is announcing something. I want us to remember the contrast. Moses is given words from God. Jesus is the word of God. Moses was sent from God as the spokesperson to deliver the people from Israel out of Egypt in the land of promise. Jesus is the one who comes from heaven. He himself stepped out of the heavens and came, was born of the Virgin Mary and lived on this earth. Moses said, the Lord says, and Jesus says stuff. Jesus is now going to announce the same message with a twist. And we're going to see that twist. And the twist could be the secret to unlocking your hunger and thirst for God. Let's just read Matthew 5 again. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit for those of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. 
They're going to be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're going to be filled. Now, there's too much to say here. We're going to do a whole series one of these days on, on, the, on the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. This isn't the time. I'm going to summarize. I don't think Jesus is saying that if you do these things, you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven. If you're poor and if you mourn, aha, that's the secret. Here it's like, it's like a puzzle. It's like a mystery. And if you do these things, you get in. That's not what he's saying. And he's not saying here, I don't think at least he's saying, that if you embody these things, you'll live the best spiritual life. In other words, I, I have money, but I give it all away to live poor because there's reward for me. Or if I mourn more. I'm really happy by nature, but I'm going to choose to mourn because Jesus says if I mourn, there's blessing for me. I don't believe he's saying that at all. I think instead, Jesus is continuing in the tradition of everything God's been saying. Except here's the twist. Moses said this is about to happen. Prophets said this is about to happen. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, it's happening now through me. Jesus, the twist here, and this is the huge twist. Moses can hear instructions to say, if you get in the house, put the blood over the doorposts, then you'll be safe. Jesus says, nobody takes my life. I'm giving it freely. And he stands at the doorpost of your life with a cross. And he is the blood. And he is the sacrifice. And he says to you, no one else is going to pay for you. I am. So on the Sermon of the Mount, before he goes to the cross, he declares, I think these beatitudes, the blessed ones, are the things that are going to definitively happen because of Jesus. Let me explain. The word blessed here, we, we see it as like a foreign word, but it just simply means happy, fortunate, uh, good news, wonderful news, privileged are the ones. Jesus is declaring because of him, there are people in poverty, but they will be happy, fortunate. They will be good news people because God's going to meet them where they're at. The meek, those who mourn. But I want to focus just for our sake for the last couple of minutes on this verse. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Happy are those who hunger and thirst. What does this mean practically? What does it mean for us to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Because Jesus declares, he promises, these aren't suggestions. This is going to happen in your life. And you just see, I'm speaking to those who are following Jesus right now. You may not feel God's presence, and that can come or go. You may not sense his nearness. You may not know his ways. But I'm telling you, in Jesus' name, what he is saying will be true for your life. There is blessing for you, and you will be filled, despite your horrific circumstances. You are the blessed who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does that mean? At least three things. Write them down. These are the points. I said one, but it was tripartite. I'm Trinitarian. It's one and three, or three and one. All right. Thank you for laughing, Ian. <laughs> Those who hunger... And thirst to live. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Those who hunger and thirst to live in right relationship with God will be filled. Jesus declares anyone now, rich or poor, man, woman, urban, suburban, churchgoer or not, religious or irreligious, anyone who hungers and thirsts to know God because of Jesus 
is going to be filled. Why? Jesus came to save everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved, rescued, just like Israel. He scoops them out of bondage and he brings them into the promise of new life. It's going to happen. So, so the declaration is if you are here and you have called on Jesus to rescue you, guess what? You're going to be filled. You're going to know God. You say, but I, but I did, but I'm doing, but I am. And, and, and Jesus says to you, I know, and that's why I came, and there's grace for you. But the, the best response to grace is obedience, which is my second point. Those who hunger to do what's right will be filled. This is where it gets tricky. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone, and that is not the end of the story. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, when Jesus talks about righteousness, he's not talking about just vertical, me and God. He's talking about horizontal. I'm going to want to do and I want to live the way of Jesus. Those who hunger and thirst to live like God will be filled. Hear me. You're struggling with sin. You're struggling with temptation. You're struggling to know the word of God. You're struggling to grow in God's grace. Join the club. You'd be like, I think so many times we get discouraged because we think we're the only people struggling. <laughs> you should have my job for a week. We're all jacked up. We're all jacked up. But we have the grace of God. So if you say, I want to know you, God, he says, you're a child of God. To those who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right, the privilege to become children of God. Not, not children just born of a woman children born anew of God. But that's not the end. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not if you keep my commandments, I'll love you, which is how we read it. He says, if you love me, the response to grace is loving obedience. This is not new to Christians. This is the story of the entire Bible. It's always been grace. God's always saved. Well, he saved Israel through the law. He saved Israel before he gave them the law. Read the Bible in order. They didn't get the law till after they were rescued. He saves Abraham because he's Abraham. That's why. Because God's good, even when we're not. And so the right response is righteousness. So let me ask you, have you taken care of the vertical dimension? Do you? Do you want to know God? It's through Jesus. Jesus declares he's the way, the truth, and the life. And you'll know him if you seek him. And now if you've done that, are you now hungering and thirsting to live right? And that, I think this is why we do Seek 21. To stop and say, God, see if there's any evil way in me. Test me. Know what's in my heart. Because my heart goes off guess what? We're like Israel. And over the 40 years in the desert, God examined their heart. The sad part is with the whole generation, he realized their heart's not with me. But he doesn't give up. He says, I'll take their kids. And his kids go into the land and they say, God, you're kind of cool, but we really want a king. And God says, really? All the other nations have a king. We want a king. Like, we're like the kingless country. This is weird. We want to be like everyone else. All right. You yeah, have your king. By the way, the king's going to make you a slave. 
king's going to take your money. I'll give you what you asked for. God's heart is that he would be king. So as Christians, we have everyday opportunities to live hungry, to live thirsty. The third one, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness means those who hunger and thirst for right relationships. There's a dimension, me and God, yes. Me and doing what's right, yes. But then there's a me and you. And so God's heart for us is those who hunger and thirst to live in right relationship with other people, he will fill it. So hear me. You're having drama with someone else. You're having issues. You're having hurt. You're having pain. You're having disappointment. You're struggling. You're wrestling with people dimensions. Here's what Jesus says to you. You will be filled. Now, that doesn't mean every relationship is going to work out. You're all going to be buddies again. Sometimes the hurt is so bad, you need to stay away. But what he will do is he will free you from hate. And he could free you from the consequences of what they've done so that in liberty, in your soul, you're free to worship God and free to know him and free to move on in grace and not act out of hurt. God can free you. Jesus declares it. You will be free. So Jesus is announcing that what seemed impossible is now possible in and through Jesus. By the way, those other three points weren't my point. This is my point. And maybe I have another point after my point. I don't know. What seemed impossible before is now possible in and through Jesus, which is why he's worth seeking. Because what no one could do, Jesus has done. So here's the question we need to wrestle with. How are we responding to God's call? How? The question isn't, are you responding? The question is how. God's always knocking. He's always trying to put us in places where we'll look to him. Are you listening? Are you seeking? Are you hearing? I'm not saying are you perfect, but are you, are you trying? So we do seasons like this where collectively we try to build each other up. You can seek God any day. I would encourage you over the next two weeks left, up your game in seeking God with someone else. If you spend a, a morning in prayer or Bible reading, find someone to talk about it with and grow in grace together. How are we responding? Are you even following Jesus? If not, without that vertical, without being right with God, how am I in a spot to be right with you? If I'm full of junk and evil and sin and baggage, how can I love you the way God loves you? I can't. So I come to God and receive love and then his love liberates me so that I can be a, a loving person to you. Somewhere in all of this, I could guarantee you, if you have an ear into your soul that's listening, something has hit you where God's confronting you with whatever it is, and he's saying, come back. The Bible word for it is repentance. Stiff neck is don't mess with me. I'm going where I'm going. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But a repentant heart is like, I'm willing to turn. God, I will go in your direction because you're loving and your grace invites me to obey. Uh, we're going to call you this morning to take steps. Israel took steps. He said, waters be open. That They had to walk through the water and receive. He said, get out of Egypt. They had to walk out of Egypt to the land of promise. And so in that kind of 
mentality, we want to use that metaphor and invite you to have God be God in your life and to be set free from all that. Uh, as we respond in worship today, we normally just go to the table and, and pick up the bread and cup. We're going to do that a little later. But what we want to do is we want to create space, margin in the very real world for God to meet your very real hungers and thirsts with his presence. And so when we worship, if God's touched you in any way, maybe you need to actually invite him to come and rescue you. Maybe you need to return from a life that's been divergent, to be nice, sinful. Maybe it's you've just relied on your own strength instead of God's grace. Maybe you just don't know what to do in the situation. You say, I need wisdom. I don't care what it is. If God's tugging you, here's what I want to invite you to do. As worship is happening, take a step, a physical step. And we're just going to open up this front area. There's places on the sides where there's steps. And if you can kneel, great. If not, you can stand. You say, well, why do I have to do something? All throughout the Bible, God connects the heart with the body. And there's something beautiful when our body catches up to where our heart is going. And so, do I have to? Oh man, if you feel like you have to, you missed the point. It's grace. You get to. I'm going to invite you to just enjoy God's presence. One, someone from our prayer team may come by. They may put a hand on your shoulder and softly pray for you. If you want to continue that prayer after coming here, if you want to continue that and really want to pray one-to-one -one with a brother or a sister. Uh, you can slip off our prayer rooms to the side. and Our prayer team will be here. We just want to not talk about it and not do it. That would be like lame, okay? So I'll give you enough space and time to think about your courage. You can do this. Why don't you stand on your feet, and now let's respond to God's grace. Lord, we come to you now, and we recognize that None of your goodness is because of anything that we've done or deserved. But we choose today to come to you, Jesus, because you said, happy and fortunate are we because of your work on the cross and in the resurrection, because we now who hunger and thirst to live in the right, we're going to be filled. So fill us now, Holy Spirit of God, we pray, as we respond tangibly, visibly, as we say yes to you, God, meet us where we're at and change us and make us the people that you longed for from the beginning. We go your way today, Lord Jesus, because you're good. Amen. During any of these songs, I invite you to come and just take care of it.